Pizza City is brought to you in part by United Healthcare. How crazy is it to think you can actually have your insurance company pay you to walk? United Healthcare isn't crazy. They just want you to be healthy. One of their programs is called United Healthcare Motion, where members can earn more than a thousand bucks a year toward their health reimbursement account just for walking. If your company works with United Healthcare, ask your friendly HR person about their programs. And if not, go tell them to switch today. Go to uhc.com slash Illinois Motion to get more information. United Healthcare, a proud supporter of the Illinois Restaurant Association and committed to your good health. No, I mean I'm from New York and he's from Seattle. I mean we can't we can't claim to be Motor City authentic, but I think we're doing a style that really resonates with people here and is, to your point, very underserved in San Francisco. San Francisco has plenty of artisan pies made with organic flours or baked in wood-fired ovens. But the current Detroit-style wave is also making ripples in the Bay Area. The Square Pie Guys started out as a pop-up, and they're now up and running in a brick and mortar where they're having too much fun getting inspired by the Detroit Square Pies that are sweeping the nation. The story behind the Square Pie Guys, straight ahead. I need a deep dish sausage and a thin pepperoni for here. This is Pizza City, the podcast dedicated to the art, craft, and passion behind some of the world's greatest pizzas. I'm Steve Dolinsky, author of Pizza City USA and founder of Pizza City USA Tours in Chicago. And welcome back, everybody. Great to have you along with us this week. We are continuing uh, even in the pandemic. Every other Friday, still doing new shows. I've got a lot of stuff, um, fortunately, in the can that uh, I can release over the next uh, couple of months before we hopefully, hopefully get back to some kind of normal. Um, Today's guests, uh, two gentlemen, actually. First time we've had a, a duo on the show and met them as I meet so many people these days on Instagram. <laughs> they reached out to me. Uh, we've got uh, mutual friends, a slice of SF also uh, turned me on to them. And uh, we talked quite a bit about Detroit style. And I was just, I, I couldn't really do the interview in good conscience without being out there and trying it first, because you just never know. A lot of people post pretty stuff on Instagram and it doesn't taste that that great. But uh, did get to, get out of San Francisco Boy, just before everything kind of went to hell and uh, met Danny Stoller and Mark Schechter. And um, they I, I realized they were doing a pop up first. This was not just a restaurant they opened. They really started off uh, in the weeds, um, in the trenches, doing uh, pop ups at a place called Vinyl, which incidentally is the same place that was kind of an incubator for Pizza Hacker, another well-known uh, place out in San Francisco. And I thought that really nobody was doing Detroit style, but apparently several people are doing Detroit style out in the Bay Area. Of course, Tony Gemignani, Tony's Pizza Napolitana, he does, you know, 13 different styles of pizza, but also a place called Pizza Squared. There's Golden Boy, Cellar Maker, uh, and then and then these guys. Now, they're not doing the Wisconsin brick cheese, unlike Tony would do, because that's, of course authentic Detroit, but they are taking liberties. So they're using Detroit as kind of a jumping off point, if you will. They're not going to adhere to the strict rules where it's got to be the sauce across the top. It's got to be the Wisconsin brick cheese. Um, they definitely are taking liberties, as several other places do out west. Uh, they got a great little shop in Soma, which is south of Market, where I caught up with them literally 10 days before everything shut down. And we started out, as we always do, 
talking about their first pizza memory. Guys, uh, thanks for having me in. Thanks for coming in. Nice to meet you, Steve. As you know, you've listened to the show before. How about first pizza memory? And this, uh, this is Mark speaking. I I was thinking about this a lot because I do listen to the show, and I've been playing with bar pies. And there's a spot in New Hyde Park, New York, called Eddie's Pizza, that my grandma used to take me to like twice a month. And yeah, I kind of I kind of prep for this question. I'm not gonna lie to you, but it, that that thin kind of greasy, like fatty, crispy bar slice is something that I remember. Very, very early on. When you say bar slice, a Midwesterner in me thinks square, small, but you're talking about a large New York floppy. No, it's actually like uh, made famous on the show Entourage, this place, Eddie's. Um, it's like a 10 or 12 inch pizza. It's really like really crackery, almost like a tortilla pizza. Um, but the way that the cheese melts into that cracker and that like it absorbs the grease um, and then you get the sweetness from the sauce. It just stuck with me, and I my my grandma would have to stop me. Like it was, I was a chubby kid. <laughs> so was I. Danny, how about you? Uh, honestly, it was just Domino's, Italian sausage and mushroom pizza. My parents both worked, so when we did have pizza, it was kind of a like last minute decision, and uh, they'd call it up, bring it out, and I also was a chubby kid, so I'd probably eat more than I was supposed to. Well, welcome to the Chubby Kids Club here on today's show. <laughs> and what, where'd you grow up? What part? Uh, I grew up in Seattle. Uh, parents are from New York, but yeah, I grew up in Seattle. So okay, so how'd you guys come together? Actually, it's funny. I met, I met Danny doing a pizza night at my friend. So my one of my good friends I grew up with in Great Neck, New York, uh, worked at this restaurant consultancy company here, actually close by in Soma. Um, and Danny was about to get that job, and part of his like first like, team building or like welcome to the team event was this pizza night that I happen to be putting on there. So I basically made pizza for Danny and other people. Um, What's your background in cooking? Like, how did you get no, into this? No, um, I started making pizza. I used to live in Berkeley. I moved here for, I moved to Seattle from New York in 2014, then down here to manage a software sales team at a tech startup. What a surprise. Yeah, right? Shocker. And then, yeah, long story short, started making pizza at night at home and just kind of fell in love with it, started having people come over and eating the food. And then I asked this friend of mine that was Danny's coworker, like, hey, let's open a restaurant, because he had a restaurant background. And he basically just told me I was crazy. Which you were. Yeah, which I still, we still are kind of crazy. And um, yeah, that just kind of pushed, I took it as like a challenge, just like pushed me forward. And I just kept trying to get into like pop-ups and farmer's markets. And there's all this access now with things like the Rockbox by, by Gosney and all these products that you can make pizzas and show up anywhere and, you know, kind of health regulations and laws be damned in some ways. Breweries will want you there if you're going to show up and sell food. So relatively late to the game, only like maybe four or five years. Uh, no, I mean, I, this this whole story started in March of 2017. So it is now three years. Three years. Oh. And then Danny, how about you? How, what was your path? Uh, my background was in restaurants. I grew up in Seattle, went to Northeastern for a small amount of time for journalism, realized I didn't want to be a journalist. Smart man. Uh, yeah, and so I found another kind of underpaid creative field where they extort your passion for their I mean, Restaurants game. and journalism, you couldn't pick two worse things, right? There's a lot of alcoholics in both fields, so no offense to journalists. No, 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 none taken. Uh, but uh, so I left school and I was cooking for a while and then ended up going back to college and realized that all I wanted to do was to be a chef. So came back from college and started cooking and went to culinary school, worked full time, left 
left that and got a job for working for one of the better chefs in the city. Um, kind of got promoted there and then moved on to another James Beard Award winning chef. Uh, after that, I was kind of looking around for something new, ended up getting a job as a traveling chef for a startup. And so I'd spent like seven years in a kitchen, essentially never having weekends, never having nights off. And I got paid to travel and all of a sudden I was like, holy crap, there's like this amazing world out there that doesn't involve, you know, cutting shallots to be incredibly small. Um, and ended up getting an office job from that, from that role. I was like overseeing the logistics of all these events that I'd been running for this startup. Um, and when that company closed, I realized I didn't want to go back to restaurants. So I worked for a startup, which was really interesting. It was like an incubator project for Campbell's, learned a lot about what it means to have too much money as a brand new business, uh, drank a lot of LaCroix for free, which was awesome. Startup perk? Yeah, startup perk. And then I went to uh, the job where I met Mark and I realized that I kind of did want to get a little bit closer to restaurants and that my eventual goal was entrepreneurship. And so Mark and I met and around that time, as I was interviewing with this job, I said, I'm going to leave, leave this job to work for myself. And they were like, okay, great. Like, we'll help you do that. Because I'm sure plenty of people had said that, but we actually did it. It was one of those things where like, we both have terrible senses of humor. So like we became really good friends and like our mutual friend was like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> you guys, you know better than most. I mean, you live in this, this city is so expensive. I can't imagine what a, a would-be restaurateur, a startup, you know, in the food business considers when they put their pro forma together. It's gotta be so much more daunting to be in this city not just because of the cost here for rent, but also labor and the yeah, California yeah. laws, right? Well, you know, it's interesting. One thing that we always kind of reflected on, and even in the moment as it was happening, was if we, we were working our day jobs while we were building the pop-up. So like Danny, as Danny, we were talking over by the, the pizza line a second ago, you know, I would go, I had the sales job for a software company and I would uh, get work from home hours and I would go make the dough Tuesday mornings in the basement of this bar uh, on the, in the Haight-Ashbury, the famous area of San Francisco. And it would ferment in this fridge overnight. And then I would load up my Hyundai, which thank, thank you, Hyundai, for having folding back seats. Um, and I would put, you know, 180 pans of pizza in the back of my car and on a Thursday night drive it over to a different bar where you do a pop-up. And we couldn't do that if we didn't have day jobs, to the point about the city being so expensive. We couldn't even, we got this restaurant funded and we didn't even quit until May, and that's our quit our jobs until May. And a part of that was because of something that happened with the pop up, and then finally getting the round like secured. But you know, like yeah, it's crazy expensive. But you you kind of have to. It's the only real set of scenarios that I could think about of us being able to do it was having it in our job. We didn't have to worry that every decision we made meant we were going to go bankrupt because we weren't paying ourselves at all. So, you know. Our investors put the lion's share of capital in, but between our sweat equity, I mean, we probably put 30 to 40K worth of profit either through like, you know, reinvesting it in the brand or just like goodwill that we'd created with the pop-up. And it let us not worry like, hey, if we do this pop-up and it flops, are we gonna pay our rent today? Like, hey, if we spend this money on an Instagram campaign, like, are we gonna make, you know, are we gonna have issue making ends meet? So that was really, really helpful, I think. It takes a lot of pressure off the business to like, build up some of that momentum and build up some of that goodwill before you make the leap. Because once once we did, we had these people that were fanatics about us and we had excitement from Eater and we had all this stuff that 
we we had the time and money to invest in getting there before we like before we actually needed it, which I think helped us a lot. Uh, when you look at the the landscape of pizza here, you see a lot of the neo Neapolitan, the artisan, yeah. the flour and waters, and the mills and that sort of thing. Yeah. Why Detroit style? There just wasn't enough of it I in mean, San Francisco. I, you kind of nailed it, right? I mean, interestingly, going back to sort of my origin story, my friend was like, "You're crazy to open a restaurant," and his his like caveat was, "Go see if you can work in a restaurant." So I worked at Delfina. I worked at Pizza Hacker. I worked at Del Popolo. I worked at Casey's Pizza. I worked at all these places. And, uh, you know, kind of also point point about the landscape, you know, you know, traditional staging and whatnot, you don't get paid, but they needed some, they needed a hand. So they were like, I, I got paid to learn, thankfully. And I think that's part of the landscape here. But yeah, I mean, all those experiences basically said to me, hey, like, this is something that's emerging in different parts of the country, Detroit style. No one's really doing it here. Saw, so, so, I mean, Square, saw Blue Pan, Apollinia, saw um, a lot of folks doing beautiful pan pizzas of, like, of all different Detroit inspirations. You know, I mean, we don't put the sauce on top. We don't use brick cheese. No, I mean, I'm from New York and he's from Seattle. I mean, we can't, we can't claim to be Motor City authentic, but I think we're doing a style that really resonates with people here and is, to your point, very underserved in San Francisco. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more specifically about this Detroit-style pizza here at Square Pie Guys in San Francisco. I'm talking with Mark Schechter and Danny Stoller. We'll be right back. And also going to preview some scenes from our next show coming up in two weeks. Stay with us. We talk a lot about classic pizza pies on the show, but where can you find a plant-based pizza with an amazing crust? Blackbird Foods is a New York City-based producer of plant-based frozen pizzas using only handmade dough that rises overnight, just like from the best pizza shops. Flat disks of mass-produced dough on conveyors not allowed. Blackbird uses the highest quality ingredients that are 100% non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, and kosher. They've got four varieties, Classic Margarita, Supreme, that's peppers, onions, and Blackbird's plant-based sausage, kale and mushroom, and barbecued chicken. Now, I had the kale and mushroom and the Supreme. They actually sent me one of each. I actually, I loved the crust and the chew. I baked it on my stone, uh, preheated, of course. Uh, even the cheese, I mean, it's not fior de latte, but if you've got vegans in the family or guests over, this is seriously a legit pizza that even the non-vegans are going to like. The best part of all, they now ship direct from their website, blackbirdfoods.com. Use the code PIZZACITY for 10% off plus free shipping. That's blackbirdfoods.com, code PIZZACITY for 10% off and free shipping. Blackbird Foods Pizza, making vegan pies delicious. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're talking with Mark Schechter and Danny Stoller, co-owners of Square Pie Guys here in San Francisco. We're in the Soma area, so south of Market. That's the, the neighborhood? That's correct. Was not a great neighborhood, or is still not a great neighborhood, or is on the on the rise, or what? I think emblematic of everything that San Francisco has to offer. So you have, you know, multi-billion dollar tech companies co-mingled with sort of some of the failings in our social support systems. We have a lot of neighborhood folks that haven't really had a neighborhood spot because Soma is seen as sort of unsavory to do business. But if you look at the metrics for average household income, things like that, it's up there with any of the other neighborhoods in San Francisco. So you got to make $100,000 here to be homeless, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So uh, we're talking Detroit-style pies. Uh, you made four for me t today. Uh, we just had a couple of samples. We're biting into these. But before we talk about the taste, let's talk about how you build these. Um, so you've worked on the dough for quite a while, a couple of years. You've got your dough down um, that you're happy with. Can you talk about flour or fermentation or hydration? So we use uh, juice dose flour. We are limited by walk-in space for the cold ferment. So towards the end of the week, it can be same day, which sometimes will compensate by leaving it at room temperature to get the kind of rise that we still expect. 70 plus percent hydration, very low percent of yeast, high oil, high salt for that flavor. This is a conversation we were having like a second ago while you were eating. I don't know if I'm ever personally satisfied, but I'm glad that our guests love it. And that's kind of what gives me like recharges my battery is seeing people enjoy our food. You guys think about Instagram at all in this world of pizza and Instagram? Absolutely, I think that's, uh, I mean, when we were building our like uh, investor decks and talking about our brand, like I think we were Instagram first kind of pizza. I mean, thankfully the, the taste backs it up, otherwise we wouldn't still be in business the way we are. But um, yeah, I mean, it's gotta look good. It's kind of how we grew up to, to put things on social media. I remember when Facebook launched and I was like coming out of high school and here we are with Instagram and all these things out there. and. We're in San Francisco, right? So every week there's a new uh, startup founder coming in, pitching us on their thing about how to do food photos. And um, it's just part of the culture, but it certainly helped us spread the word about Square Pie Guys a lot quicker than other methods. Okay, so talk about some of these builds. Uh, let's start with just the margarita. So it's a very simple, uh, all organic tomato sauce pureed with a little bit of salt and oregano. You're using the Crispianco di Napoli? Yes, we do. The whole, the whole peeled. Um, we actually, hopefully we'll get their farm tour in this year. We tried to do it last year when we were opening the store, but didn't yeah. really feel like it was in the cards. So then you got uh, two kinds of cheese? Yeah, that's actually three. So we do our cheddar crust, right? So the Tillamook or medium, the grande whole mozz, and then we also put some Belgioso fresh mozz on. Tell me about that Tillamook medium cheddar. You don't usually see that. You see brick cheese in Detroit. You see, I've seen white cheddar at Poly G's in Chicago. You're using that sort of that yellow cheddar to go on the, on the perimeter. I mean, A, it's distinctive, right? Like no one else has that coloration. Um, B, I mean, it, the flavor works, works really well for me in my opinion. And I think Mark's opinion too, it goes through the oven and it gets the perfect level of caramelization. And I've often said to someone like, hey, our pizza's kind of like the crispy cheese that falls out of a grilled cheese sandwich in the pan and everyone's face lights up. That's what I love about a grilled cheese sandwich. That's exactly what I'm thinking of. And it is this sort of this rust brown burnished uh, and it's very crispy and uh, it, it's unique, it's unique. Now we overlap the mozz, the grande on top of the orange cheddar. But before, if you look at, speaking of Instagram, if you look back at our Instagram to the beginning, you'll see some very orange looking pizzas, which I was like, this doesn't look good, but it tastes good. So that was part of this progression is figuring out how to get that color, but still maintaining the flavor and like the, the type of, you know, fry that we get on the side with the cheddar. You got a pepperoni here and they're cup and char, but they're not itzo. Not Itzo, not Hormel, Pavone. And what's the green one with the broccoli? So that's the mean green sausage machine. So lemon ricotta cream on the bottom, charred marinated broccoli, Italian sausage, and we finish it with uh, spicy honey from Mike, Mike's Hot Honey. And of course Mike's, he's yeah. ubiquitous. What are the sausage though, you know, again, the Chicagoan in me is asking you, why don't you just do the bulk sausage raw, sort of pinch and press, let the fat render onto the pie when you bake it, but you actually, you get the fontanini sausage, you bake it ahead of time in a sheet pan, and then you break it up? Yep, and we just kind of cut it into little chunks and kind of roughly massage it so it doesn't look like we just cut it up with a knife. Um, so what happens, you're baking it like in a sheet pan and all that fat's rendering, and then 
all that flavor goes away and you just have a, the, the sausage with the fennel in, in it. Well, A, the, the fat does stick to the sausage. So it's not like we're pouring it off. Like we let it cool with the fat. So there's some of that sticking to it when we cut it up. But B, I mean, I, I was a trained sausage maker. That's a funny thing to say, but if you make sausage correctly, fat actually stays inside because you're making an emulsion. So even a cooked sausage should have a really good ratio of fat to water inside of it because you've actually created that emulsion where some of it does render out as a natural process, but a lot of that moisture and flavor stays inside. And then this crazy one here, the buffalo chicken. What's, what inspired this and why? I grew up on Long Island. There's a spot called uh, Mama Teresa's out there. Um, there's a bunch of pizzerias and the Long Island uh, slice case is something to go look at if you're ever there because they'll have all sorts of wacky fucked up pizzas. When we tested it, Mark took one of our chicken cutlets that we use for our sandwiches, cooked, cut it up and put that on the pizza. And obviously it kind of charred in the oven, but we wanted that fried chicken on top because we're an Instagrammable brand, like Mark said, and we want it to be over the top. So we decided we'd start with our, our diced chicken that we bring in for sandwiches and things like that. It's already roasted off, cook that on, then garnish it, and then put a bunch of fried chicken on top. So it sort of evolved over time because we did want that fried chicken for the craveability and just kind of over the top Instagram ability, but we want it to taste good too. It's yummy, yeah, and the ratio works out too. It's not overpowering. You put a little, you get the buffalo sauce, post-bake the buffalo sauce. Post-baked buffalo sauce and ranch, and the sauce is a mixture of our red sauce and buffalo sauce. In terms of baking, um, now you get these conveyor belt ovens. Those aren't Middleby Marshalls, are they? No. Okay, but the, uh, the conveyors are typically see these for the, the Detroit style. And I'm always surprised that you get decent, crispy sort of cooking at the bottom, at the undercarriage, even though it's not sitting on a stone deck, which typically promotes you know a lot of heat baking in the bottom, but you're just on these sort of uh, racks in the conveyor belt. Why do you think that works? Um, well, look, the pan is kind of what's cooking the pizza, right? So the pan is getting all that heat, absorbing it, cooking the pie. Um, but you can really, I mean, we, in testing, we put a lot of olive oil in a pan and we can burn the crap out of one of these pizzas to the point where you don't want to eat it. So um, it's not as though this oven is the problem. It's all about playing with the ratio of oil in the pan, the temperature, the bake time. Those are all the variables so you can get that same stone deck result that you that you might expect nine and a half minutes for about 550 yeah. fahrenheit yeah yeah okay yeah these pop-ups were kind of wacky we were just we were talking about pizza hacker here in san francisco and the frankenweber like that was those were our frankenwebers like we just put a couple of different ovens together to make a pie and then we get a restaurant we have this thing which is a professional pizza oven had to figure it out all over again and i'll tell you the first couple weeks we had some industry folks come in and we watched them kind of like tell us to our face the pizza was good, but they did that move where they put a bunch of napkins in their plate and didn't really eat it. I took that very personally. <laughs> and um, we've changed our recipes. We, we play with the settings. I've seen lots of uh, partnerships go south because somebody ends up doing the majority of the work. You guys seem to have a good relationship. How do you manage your sort of division of duties here? Um, it's a work in progress. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I think it's a fair observation to talk about that. I mean, I would, I think we'd both be along if we have, would say we, we didn't experience that, but I think Dane and I have a good sort of friendship first and a foundation of trust and like similar goals. Um, but you divide things though, so you know like this is your responsibility, this is your responsibility. Some things, yeah, some things we're, are clear. We're working on it. Yeah, we're some working things are clear, it, right? some things are still in the, in the ether. The, the answer is that we're going through that right now, whether or not it's like someone doing too much work or just miss expectations, but we've kept the lines of communication open and both of us have been willing to admit like, hey, that's on me, or, you know, 
we're, we're able to talk through it. And yeah. I, I think because of that, we're going to get through it. Right, well, since this is the first show we've ever had with multiple guests, I'll ask you both this, the same question we have, the, the last question of the show. Um, you can both answer it as, as you want to. Um, so knowing what you know now, no, you'll go in one first and then second. Maybe you flip a coin to see who goes first. Knowing what you guys know now, uh, which is quite a bit about the business and making pizza, uh, what would you tell yourselves in 2016 or early 2017 before you opened this, before you went down this path, about how to be successful in the pizza game? We'll start with Danny. Uh, don't take it all on yourself. Outsource what you can always had this work ethic that to sh prove my value to organization, if I own it or if I work for it, that I have to really like maintain as much fingers in every pot as possible and to really try to ensure that I'm just pushing that work forward. And I think what I'm learning is, even though that might be noble, there are ways to achieve the same success while relying on outside vendors to kind of get what you need to get done. Hey Mark, what would your advice be to yourself, younger, younger self? My reaction to problems is to kind of jump in and maybe not let our team solve them, right? So like learning how to step back or just reminding myself that you can rely on our people as well. I don't know. I really don't know. What Danny said. Sort of. Right. <laughs> don't Mark, say that. <laughs> Mark, Mark and Danny are the Square Pie guys. You got to come check them out uh, in San Francisco. On Instagram, they are just at Square Pie Guys. Check out their Instagram. It's going to make you want to have a Detroit-style pizza. Um, again, Danny and uh, Mark, thanks so much, guys. Congrats. Thanks, thanks Steve. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Coming up in two weeks, a trip to Midtown Manhattan to talk to one of the guys behind one of my favorite grandma-style slices. It, uh, it just kind of blew up. So people were coming in from the tri-state area to take pies home, driving in from Jersey. Like we were going through so much of it. And like it got something like like eight or 10 million or 12 million views. Spin a jar of choke dip on pizza and it became very popular. Other places started like uh, copying it after. It was, you know, it's really like nice. I'll talk to Tommy DeGrezia, co-owner of Sofia Pizza Shop, where the Dodici helped put him on the map but a consistently delicious standard New York slice, as well as a thin, somewhat crisp grandma slice are the reasons for going back. That's in two weeks on May 22nd. Remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and rate us, please. I would love to know what you like or dislike about the show. We're at Pizza City USA on Instagram, and our website is pizzacityusa.com. We're hoping to get our tours back up and running in July. We're holding our virtual pizza parties on Zoom every other week. Uh, that's the plan. We just did one last night, May 7th, with Robert Garvey from Robert's Pizza and Dough Company here in Chicago. Next one is going to be May 21st. That's also a Thursday. And that is with the one and only Paulie G coming to you live from New York. If you live in New York, you can pre-order a slice or two from his Greenpoint shop so you can enjoy it while we talk to the guy who created it. Sign up to be on our mailing list over at my website, stevedolinsky.com. Bureaucratic wrote and performed our theme song. A big thanks to Ken Ho at the Grant Plaza Hotel in Chinatown in San Francisco for the friends and family rate. And just a reminder, stay safe, everybody. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Keep social distancing. And please, please, please... Keep ordering pizzas and keep your favorites afloat during the pandemic. Thanks for listening, everybody, and here's wishing you an optimal bite ratio always.